Uh, This morning, we are beginning a brand new series called God Never Said That, taking a pause on our Mark series. We'll come back to it at different points throughout the year. But I want to talk about some things that we believe, uh, sayings in culture that have been attributed to God, that when you start reading the Bible and looking at it, you realize that God never said that. Anybody got some of those things like, well, I think God this, or I think God that, and then you pick it up and you read and you're like, well, God really never said that at all. And so over the course of the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. Look at some sayings, some ideas and beliefs that uh, we hold, even as a culture, even as Christianity, that just aren't true, that God never said. There may be some truth to it, but he never made that statement. This morning, what I want to talk about is this, the idea that God wants you to be happy. I mean, how many of you like that idea? right? That God wants you to be happy. How many of you have heard that before? God wants you to be happy. God wants me to be happy. That above all else, God exists to make me happy. I like that. I love that. I mean, that I can get on board with that, right? I mean, like, God, yeah, you exist to make me happy. That my God's highest priority is my happiness. Anybody want to sign up for that? We can just leave right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that just makes me happy, happy, happy in the words of Phil Robertson, right? Happy, happy, happy. What if I told you, though, that uh, your happiness is not God's highest priority? That above all else, God does not exist to make you happy. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me happy, so I don't like it. Right? But I think that we, we, we believe that at times. We believe that God exists to make us happy. Maybe we don't say it in those terms, but we have grown up in a culture that really worships at the altar of happiness. That it, if it makes you happy, do it. And if it makes you happy, it's right. What I want to talk about this morning is, is just it, that line of thinking, this thought process that says that God exists above all else to make me happy. That his highest priority is my happiness. And I want to talk about the theology of happiness for a moment, okay? Three logical conclusions that we have to come to if we believe in the theology of happiness. Everybody say the theology of happiness. All right. Theology of happiness. Here's the first conclusion we have to come to if that is true, if we believe that, that whatever makes me happy is right and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. Everybody said? Okay. All right. (laughs) Whatever makes me happy is right and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. It reminds me of the song by Sheryl Crow, right? If it makes you happy, then it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, bad word, then why does it make you so sad? You know? I mean, you, you... That's kind of the culture that we live in, that that our happiness becomes the barometer and the measuring stick for right and wrong, for all of morality. That morality becomes subject to my opinion and my definition of happiness. That if it's right for me, good. If it's not right for you, that's okay. We can be doing the same thing and it affects us differently and it can be right for me and wrong for you. That is the subjective nature of if God exists to make me happy, Above all else, whatever makes me happy is right, and whatever makes me unhappy is wrong. Maybe you think that, or maybe you know somebody like that. Anybody know somebody like that, right? That's the first conclusion. Here's the second conclusion we have to come to. That discomfort, delay, risk, inconvenience, obstacles, uh, suffering, all of those are not in the will of God. That if God exists above all else to make me happy, then he'll never make me uncomfortable. There will be no delay. Like God won't delay in answering my request. There won't be such thing as the midnight hour, right? Like at the last possible moment, like God is never early and he's never late. No, there won't be any delay. There certainly won't be any risk. God would never ask me to step out in faith. Never ask me to do something where I don't know how it's going to end up. 
There would be no suffering at all. And of course, there would be no inconvenience and be no obstacle. Why? Because if God exists above all else to make me happy, those things cannot be part of his will because they're, con- will, because they're contrary to his nature. That's the second conclusion we have to come to. Here's the third one. Is that without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, pleasure, money, and things. That if God exists above all else to make me happy, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Why? Because what we've said and what we've done without really knowing it is we have elevated our happiness to the position of God in our lives. And God has become subservient to our happiness. That God exists. Here's what we've said. That God exists to serve you and me. I would contend that that could be no further from the truth that God does not exist to serve us, but that we exist to serve him. That's how it is. You go, well, Josh, we were just in a series called Jesus, the servant king. And you said that it said in Mark 10, verse 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve. And now you're saying that God doesn't exist to serve us, but we exist to serve him. You're right. That's exactly what I'm saying. That the God of the universe who created everything, who was not obligated, who was not under no uh, idea or contract that he had to come down and do anything for us, decided on his own volition and his own will to come to this earth and to give his life for us so that we could spend eternity with him and be forgiven. The only proper response to the service he has given us is to serve him. But that's where we get that if God exists above all else to make me happy and my happiness is his highest priority, then he exists to serve me. And what that does is it turns God into nothing more than a cosmic vending machine, right? I can push B11 and say, drop it down, God. I expect you to give me what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And beyond my expectation, I really think there's an obligation here, God, that you have to do it because I did this and I did that and you exist to make me happy. And maybe we don't, we don't coin it in the, or phrase it in those terms, but I think on some degree, we all kind of believe that or we act like that in certain areas and moments and periods of our lives that God, you need to give me what I want. I think that a majority of people, I don't know if majority is right. I mean, I'm not an authority. So let's say some, some people in our American westernized idea of Christianity fall in this category where we believe that God exists to make us happy, to give us the job, to give us the house, to give us the wife, to give us the kids, to give us this sense of manifest destiny that we all are inherently uh, entitled to because we were born in America. We were born to prosper. I mean, we're Americans. Come on, right? God loves us more than anybody else. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't, let us, he wouldn't have us be born in America. That we deserve it. And that's where we fall. And you know where this whole, whole uh, thought process breaks down is right here. That if God exists to make me happy and I'm not happy, then God failed me. That if, if, if my happiness is his highest priority and I'm unhappy, then God, you missed it, bro. You dropped the ball. And, I, and I've, I've met people like that. I, I've been there before, too. You know, people say, I tried God. I tried church. I tried the whole religion thing. And I'm, I'm not any happier now than I was three weeks ago when I started or, or six months ago or a year ago. My, my marriage didn't get better. My, my job didn't get better. Uh, I didn't, my finances didn't get better. I prayed that God would heal me, and he didn't heal me. I tried it. It didn't work. I'm moving on to something else. Anybody been there? Anybody know anybody like that? I tried God. And he didn't do for me what I wanted him to do. Therefore, he failed me. And I'm not any happier. And it all comes back down to this uncomfortable truth that we have to 
come to terms with that our happiness is not his highest priority. And we can theologically agree with that here this morning. We can, we can mentally agree with that, but I don't know about you. Emotionally, I don't want to agree with that. It's difficult because I want to be happy. I want to be happy all the time. I want to be happy in every area of my life. And although our happiness is not his highest priority, I would say this, because I believe this, that God does delight in our happiness. Just as any parent delights in their own child's happiness. I mean, if you're a parent or a grandparent here this morning, and I ask you, do you like to see when your kids or grandkids are happy? You're going to say what? Yes. I mean, my son wants to go to his grandparents because they give him whatever he wants. Right? Because he can do whatever he wants. That's why he wants to go. He, he enjoys it. And they love seeing the joy on their face. I mean, I love seeing the joy on my son's face. I delight and rejoice with him when he's happy. But I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that there are times, maybe a number of times, when our child's happiness is not our highest priority. Right? Like, let's say your child's involved in some type of competitive activity, or maybe, maybe they're receiving an award, and, and you're out there, and you're watching them on the field. They score the winning goal. They get the, the, that tackle that saves a touchdown. They, they throw the, the last strikeout pitch, right? Or they, or they hit the winning, you know, base hit, whatever the case may be, or they're receiving an award academically or in music or something, and you're like, you're, you've got your phone out. You're recording it. You're Facebook-living it because you think everybody else wants to see it when we don't, but, you know, you're, you're doing that, and, and we're hitting the like button to make you feel feel better and, and all that. And then, then what happens is you see your kid just start acting a fool and being all arrogant and cocky saying, ha ha ha, you suck, bro. I got you. You can't pitch. You can't sing. You can't do this. I'm better than you. And then what you do is you turn the phone off real quick. Cause you don't want, you don't put anything bad on Facebook. You know what I mean? It's, and you turn it off and then your, your highest priority has shifted from their happiness to what their behavior. You ain't thinking about them being happy anymore. You don't care about them being happy. All you care about is you're going to correct them, you're going to discipline them, and you're going to counsel them. Because you don't always make your child's happiness the highest priority. And if you do, I'll show you some kids that are just flat out rotten and kids you don't want to be around. When their parents make their happiness the highest priority. God delights in it, but he doesn't make it his highest priority. God wants us to do this. He wants us to pursue him rather than pursuing happiness. God does not want happiness to be our highest pursuit. He wants himself to be our highest pursuit. And you say, why? Not because you can pursue God to get what you want. God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. So you'll give me uh, X, Y, and Z. No, no, no. We pursue God for who he is and who he is alone. The reason is this. God created you and I, and he created us to run on himself. Our spirits, our souls only run on the fuel of God. There is no happiness apart from God himself. To ask God to give you something else to make you happy is a futile request because God cannot give you anything to make you happy. All he can give you is himself, and that's what he's done in the person of Jesus. Our souls and our spirits run on the fuel of God himself and that's who he gives or that's what he gives to us is himself. Knowing that apart from him, we will never find sustainable happiness. We will only find momentary happiness at best. Momentary at best. So what I want to do this morning for the few moments we have remaining is this. I want to share with you just two areas in life or two scenarios in life when God doesn't want us to be happy. The first one is this. 
God doesn't want us to be happy when it causes us to do something wrong or unwise. Maybe I can say it like this better. God doesn't want us to be happy when it causes us to do something sinful or stupid. Okay? God doesn't want us to be happy when it causes us to do something sinful or stupid. In Proverbs, within two chapters, chapter 14 and chapter 16, it makes this statement. So there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it leads to destruction. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it only leads to destruction. I don't know about you, but there are, there are things in life that always seem to be uh, right from the onset. You know what I mean? You're looking at it like, oh, this is perfect. This is right. I mean, this, everything about it, it feels right. It is right. My buddies told me it's right. And you just, oh, it's so right. But then you get into it and you realize that it is not so right. Right? It is not pro- uh, producing what it promised. A few years ago, I was in Guatemala, and uh, I'd been going there for a number of years, and uh, we were working all day, and um, I had to skip dinner for some reason, and so I was super hungry, and I was walking around where the, the, the city square is, and I saw this guy off to the side making tacos and a stand. He's doing street tacos, and I know that street food isn't always the best for you in another country, but I decided to go buy it because it smelled amazing. I just stood there for a while, and I watched him make it. And everything inside me was like, don't buy it. But I said, I don't care. I'm hungry. And I, and I bought it. And then he threw it on some styrofoam and he wrapped it in a black trash bag, which should have been a good indication that maybe you shouldn't eat this, right? If food comes in a trash bag at the beginning, you know. So what I did is I carried it into the, the hotel and I sat down in the lobby and the missionary, Bill, is there. And he's been in Guatemala for like 40 plus years. And so he's, he's tried everything and he knows how it all goes. And he said, what you got there, Josh? I said, oh man, this guy was making tacos out there. Bill made his own tortillas. He had chicken. And he's like, oh yeah. And I said, Bill, it smells so good. And he's like, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. I said, Bill, it smells so good. He goes, that's the problem. It smells good and it tastes good. And that's where they get you because it never comes out good. I'm telling you. <laughs> Never comes out good. He said, we got a four-hour ride down the mountain tomorrow, and then you're going to get on a plane, and are you preaching on Sunday? I said, yeah. He goes, you ain't going to be preaching nothing. I'm going to tell you. And I looked out, opened that food. I said, Bill, but it, sm- I mean, it smelled so good you could taste it. You ever have food like that? Like you can, you can smell the taste. You're like eating it before you eat it. And so I looked at that food, and I thought, I just paid for this. My stomach is telling me to be happy. The way that seems right to me is to eat that food. But you know what I did? I threw it in the trash because the prospect, you, know, yeah, you can clap. Yeah. Say so the prospect of, of puking and pooping my guts out for the next week was not, not, didn't seem like a good proposition to me. I threw it away and I ate crackers. But what I realized in that moment is, is that Bill did not have my happiness as his highest priority. He had my health as his highest priority. And he had everyone else's happiness uh, and priority other than mine. He told me the truth. I had a decision to make. Am I going to listen to Bill or am I going to listen to my desire to be hungry, which was superseding my, my desire to ma- or my ability to make good, sound decisions? I wanted to say this because I think this is for somebody or some people here this morning that there are some of you that are getting ready to do something and it seems so good on the outside. Everything, everything seems to be falling in line. The way seems right to you, but there's a hesitancy in you. There's a, there's a little whisper. There's a little, uh, I don't know. Uh, and what I want to say to you, pay attention to that. Please pay attention to that. That just could be the Holy Spirit trying to say, it seems right. I know it looks right, but in the end, it's going to bring destruction. 
Yeah, but God, I want, I want to be happy. I know you want to be happy. And if you listen to me, I guarantee you, you're going to be a whole lot happier if you don't. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know what you're facing, but I just want you to encourage you to stop and pause. Listen to those whispers. Pay attention to the, uh, that's how God speaks sometimes. Uh, you ever feel that? That's the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Listen, take a step back. Think about it. Because when we pursue happiness above all else, we make decisions that are unwise, sinful, and wrong. When we pursue happiness above all else, we use it as a justification for sin. We use it as a justification to do whatever we want, even though we know it's wrong, to feed our happiness. When happiness is our God, we lose all sense of morality, we lose all sense of right and wrong, and we lose all sense of how our decisions are going to affect our long term and how it's going to affect other people. Take marriage for a moment. A lot of marriages end in divorce, and they cite unhappiness. I'm not here to cast blame, and if you're in an abusive situation, get out. But if you are in a situation and you say, well, I'm just unhappy. And you use that sense of unhappiness to go, I'm unhappy. You're not making me happy anymore. And I'm going to find someone. I'm going to find something else that makes me happy. What you do in that moment is you forget about the vows we made, right? Like we stood before God and we stood before these people. And we said, until death do us part, right? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. You're like, I said, yes, no, yes, no to that. I didn't say yes, 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 yes. You know? These vows that we made were for better or for worse, not for when you make me happy, I'm in, and when you make me unhappy, I'm out. But if all we want is happiness, we will break through the things that we know are right, and we will do whatever we need to do to be happy, because we want to be happy. And maybe it's not marriage this morning. Maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's food. That's what it is for me. Like if it's like I work hard or I went through a hard day and I come home and there's a piece of cake there. I'm like, I'm not eating a piece. I'm eating the whole thing, right? I am stuffing it. I don't eat a bite of Ben and Jerry's. I eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's. I don't go to the store to buy ice cream to take a bite and put it back in the freezer. That's stupid. It costs $4.78 a pint at Walmart. I'm gonna eat the whole thing. All 85 grams of sugar later, I'm gonna do it. I'm going to go on a diet tomorrow, but I'm going to do it right now, right? I I deserve it. It makes me happy. Some of us have health conditions, diabetes, heart conditions, and, and we're not taking care of ourselves. Why? Because eating healthy doesn't make us happy. Forget about how it's affecting our lives and our bodies and that we're going to affect our families if we leave the planet too soon. I don't care. It makes me happy. I can eat whatever I want. We forgot that God said our bodies were a temple of the Holy Spirit and he gave it to us to steward and take care of. I don't care. It doesn't make me happy. So I'm going to do whatever I want. Maybe it's how we treat people. Hey, you just flat out just dressed me down and gave me a piece of your mind. I'm going to do it to you. I don't care. It makes me happy in the moment. I don't feel guilty later. Holy Spirit's going to get all up inside me and convict me, but I don't care. You're a jerk to me. I'm going to be a jerk to you. You flip me off when I'm driving and I'm going to lose my Christianity and do something to you. I don't know. Right? Why? Because it feels good. It makes me happy in the moment. And if, I, if it can make me happy, I can justify it because if it makes me happy, it's right. And if it makes me unhappy, it's wrong. This way of living just, it begins to just boom, break down really quick. And we become utterly selfish in the process. And we start to move so far away from how God called us to live. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, here's what, here's what, uh, 
Here's what Peter writes. He says this. He said, but just as he who is happy, so be happy in all you do. Oh, I didn't say that. Sorry. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. As he who has called you is holy, be holy in all you do. I would contend that God's highest priority for us is not our happiness, but it's our holiness. It's our holiness. You say, what is holiness? Holy literally means to be set apart, to be, to be set apart. The Bible says this, that when God sent Jesus to this earth, he did not do it to make us happy. God wasn't up in heaven be like, I see all these people. They don't like their jobs. They're unhappy with their spouse and like the food they're eating. I just want to make them happy. So I'm going to go down to earth and I'm going to, I'm going to live the life they live. I'm going to get on a cross. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. and I'm going to resurrect within three days to make them happy. That was never God's motivation. That's all surface stuff. God did, God did not give himself to make us happy. He gave himself because we were dead in our sins and he made us live again through Christ Jesus. That we would no longer spend an eternity apart from him. We could have spent an eternity with him because he's our creator and he loves us. That's why he did that. And in the process, he made us holy. Paul says that Jesus has become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, and our holiness. Jesus is our holiness. We're set apart in Jesus and he empowers us to live holy. So when God says, I'm concerned about your holiness, what he's talking about is your character, is your behavior, is your attitude. That's what God is concerned about. Just as he, Jesus was holy, who called you to be holy, so be holy, live it. You get your holiness from God this way. You're holy. You live it out this way. Vertically, I'm good. What am I doing horizontally? How am I living this out? Am I pursuing happiness or am I pursuing holiness? Am I allowing God to change me in the process? God changes our behavior. God changes our wants. God changes our desires. And we partner with him in that and we live it out. How am I treating people? How am I responding to situations? See, I... uh, have a son, he's six years old, and he has chores to do every day, right? His biggest chore is to feed the dog. Every time we get home from school, I say, Carson, time to do your chore. And he always kind of like, I don't want to do my chore. No, no, no. And I always say, I don't care. Go do it. I didn't ask you if you wanted to. I told you to do it, right? And I told Carson this day, you know, Carson, I said, if I have a choice, here's what my choice is going to be. I'd much rather you have a bad attitude and be obedient than have a good attitude and be disobedient. My highest choice is you're going to have a good attitude and be obedient. But if I got to choose, I'll take a bad attitude and obedience over a good attitude and disobedience every day of the week. You know what some of us do? We have a great attitude. We love God. We come in here, you know, we worship God. And then we go throughout the week and we're just disobedient all the way, all the time. And we think that God appreciates our attitude over our disobedience and he doesn't. Obedience is the key. Not a great attitude. The attitude can come later. I don't care if Carson's ever happy about doing his chores because my goal is not to make him happy. My goal is by the time he's an adult, he's living on his own. He's paying his own bills. Everybody say amen. Amen. Right? And he's treating people good. Right? And he knows who he is in Christ. And he's a good uh, man of God. That's my goal. So whether ever he's happy about his chores and he's happy about being obedient, I could give a rip less. He's going to do it. Why? Because I'm not concerned about his momentary happiness. I'm concerned about his life. I'm concerned about his eternity. And in the same way, that's what God does with us. 
He wants us to do what's right and he empowers us to do what's right because he knows it's what's best for us because he's a good, good father who always has our best at hand, even when we can't see it and even when we don't think it's good, he's saying it's good and we have to be obedient to him. That's why we can't pursue happiness because happiness is going to cause you to do dumb, stupid, sinful stuff all the day long because you're selfish and all you want is to be happy. But that's, that's the, the core of the human heart right there. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just realizing that's how I am apart from God. So the first scenario that God doesn't want us to be happy when it causes us to do something unwise or wrong, sinful, or stupid. Here's the second one. God doesn't want us to be happy when it's solely based on the things of this world. God doesn't want us to be happy when it's solely based on the definition of happiness in this world. I don't know about you, but have you, have you paid attention recently to any of the advertisements you get, whether it's on TV, on your social media feed, or uh, on, on the radio, whatever? You hear these advertisements all day long. And what are they telling you? You are not who you should be. You do not have what I'm trying to sell you. And if you would get it, you will be so much happier. And if you would do this, you'd be, oh, it would be great. Like I saw this ad for iPhone. I have an iPhone, but it says iPhone is happiness. I got an iPhone. I'm any happier. I mean, I like it, but I got to pay for it every month. And uh, yeah, I just want a new one because the new one's coming out. So by the time you get it, you're unhappy because you don't have the newest one. iPhone is not happiness. It's just a piece of technology, right? And there's so many things if you don't have this. In fact, there's a, an equation we can use for happiness according to the world. You know what it is? It says this, better possessions plus peaceful circumstances plus thrilling experiences, plus the right relationships, plus the perfect body equals happiness. Better possessions, plus peaceful circumstances, plus thrilling experiences, plus the right relationships, plus the perfect body equals happiness. I don't know about you, that sounds really good. I don't know about you, but that kind of uh, encapsulates my life at times. If I could just have better stuff, man, that would be great. I, wanna, I just need a better car. I need a better house. Uh, I need a better uh, iPhone. I need a bigger boat. And Oh, yeah, I just want to be peace. Just leave me alone. I just want peace. Oh, but I want adventure, too. I need adventure. I need to go on a vacation. Oh, I need to be with the right person. I don't know if I'm with the right person anymore. I need a perfect body. Love handles. Boom. Go away, please. If you could just take them away, I'd be happy. I'd look in the mirror in the love handles. I'd never you know, be depressed again, and I'd be happy. And then the worst thing that can happen ever is we get all those things and we come to the sad realization of what? I got it all and I'm unhappier than I was when I didn't have it. That's the sad thing is that none of this stuff can ever produce what it promises. It can make you happier, but it's not going to equal happiness. Because all these things fade away. Let me read to you what John says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Here's what he has to say about kind of happiness in the world. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's John saying? John's saying, hey, there's a lot of things the world has to offer. Better possessions. Peaceful circumstances, thrilling experiences, the right relationships, perfect body. All of that exists, and we all want that naturally. We, we are, because of sin, we, we want those things. But here's the problem. All of those things are going to go away. All of those things are going to be done. They're going to be gone. That house, it's going to go away. Car, it's going to break down. The boat, 
you know, always breaks down. Right? The, 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 the relationship that you're in is going to be tough. It's all going to fade away and you're going to be, you're going to be left with all of that. And if that's your source of happiness in the end, you're going to be very, very disappointed because you're going to be left with nothing. I mean, the question comes to this is, is, is how big of a house do you need? How, how many cars do you need? How many vacations do you have to go on? How, how peaceful does it have to be? How pretty does the person you have to be with? How pretty do they have to be? Because we know that beauty fades, right? Not just physically, but I mean, you get in a fight with somebody, you get into tough times, you don't care how pretty they are. You're mad at them. I don't like you. Pretty don't keep you married, right? Pretty and beauty don't equal a good marriage. It takes a whole lot more than that. But if that's the basis of our happiness, that's what John's saying. You can have all of it. It's going to go away. John says, you got to make a choice. You've got to choose between what society and culture feeds you as happiness, or you're going to choose God. Why? It comes back. God doesn't want you to pursue happiness. He wants you to pursue himself. John goes so far as to say, leaves no wiggle room, that you can't have a foot in both. I can't be pursuing the world over here and be pursuing God over here and be happy. No, 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 no. It doesn't work. You're going to have to make a choice. Either you're going to go in this direction, and if you go in that direction, he says the love of the Father isn't in you. If you go in this direction, you're going to be pursuing God. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that if you're a Christ follower and you say, well, man, I'm just pursuing this over here that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I think what John is saying is that God is not sitting in the driver's seat of your life. He's not, he's not uh, the guiding principle for you. The guiding principle for you is happiness. The love of the Father isn't in you and you can't walk in this way and expect to be living a holy life. It just doesn't work. Here's the thing about God. He's a horrible accessory. God is a horrible addition to your life. You know that? If you only want to make him an accessory, forget about it. He doesn't play that game. If you only want to put him on as an addition to your life and and visit that part of your life every once in a while, forget about it. You're never going to get out of it what you think. Why? Because God wants it all. He's supreme. He's first. He's never second. He wants it all. He created everything. He reigns supreme in our life. If you want the fullness of God and to pursue him, you need to pursue all of him and give him all of you, every part of your life. Then you will experience what he has for you. I think we try to accessorize our lives with God and godly things. And God said, I don't want to be the accessory. I want to be everything. Because here's the thing. God doesn't care about your stuff. He doesn't care if you got a house, how big it is, how many houses you got, how many cars you got, how many boats you got, how many clothes you got. I mean, he don't care about any of that. Go for it. Have it all. He doesn't care. What he cares about is that stuff having you. We try to go with Christians. They can't have too big of a house. They can't make too much money. Forget about it. Get out of here. I don't care about any of that. Have all that stuff. If it doesn't have you, great. But if it has you, that's the problem. Because then you're worshiping it. You're worshiping the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. But if you have all of that and you're still content, you realize that God is your source and all those things are accessories and God could take all of those away and you'd still be just as happy as you were without them. There's the key to life right there. Paul made this statement. I have learned in whatever situation I am, therefore to be content. James said this. He said, when trials come, not if, but when, we will rejoice in them. We will worship it. Why? They had all of God. They knew what it meant to pursue God. Paul had been shipwrecked. He'd been beaten. He'd been left for dead. He'd been rich and he'd been poor. And he said, hey, look, I've had it all. And I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. To be content in who? In him. 
Hey, like I said, your stuff, it's neither good nor bad. It just is. But it will never deliver what God has desired for you. While we've said this over and over again this morning, that our happiness is not God's highest priority. It's, his, it's our holiness. I, I do want to just kind of end with this thought. That God wants us blessed. I believe that. God fundamentally wants us to be blessed. And blessed does not mean filthy rich. Blessed does not mean whatever we think it means. It doesn't mean you'll never be sick. It doesn't mean you'll, you'll won't ever be discomforted or inconvenienced or there won't be obstacles or delay or suffering. It doesn't mean any of that. Blessed literally means in the, in, the, in the Bible, it means it's supremely happy, beyond happy. And it all comes down to being happy in him. We started this with Psalms 97 verse 12, but I did not give you the whole verse. I left a part of it out, which contextually adds a whole lot. Here's what it really says. It says, may all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. May all who are godly be happy in the Lord and praise his holy name. That word happy there means to rejoice, to worship him. Psalm 144 verse 15 says this, happy are those are the people whose God is the Lord. That word happy in Psalm 144 literally means blessed. Blessed are those whose people, whose God is the Lord. God is saying, I want you to be blessed and I will give you the very best of heaven to be blessed. And that is myself. And I did that in Jesus. John said this in third John chapter one, verse two, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul would prosper, prosper and be in health, even as your soul would prosper. God wants you to have soul prosperity. God will always prosper you from the inside out and not the outside in always. We want God to do it this way. And God does it this way. God wants your heart. God wants your soul because he knows that the depths of who we are, which is our soul, that's where discontentment comes from. And he fills that with himself. He fills that with Jesus. The world says happiness is external. You don't have this. You need it. You're not with that person. Be with them. Your body doesn't look like that. Get that. You want that? Do it. Because if if it makes you happy, it's right. If it makes you unhappy, it's wrong. And we're pursuing all this external stuff when happiness is a self-contained thing and it comes from within because it comes from him and him alone. I want to leave you with this thought today. God gave us the very best of heaven in Jesus. There is nothing greater than Jesus. There is no one greater than Jesus. There is nothing left in heaven that God has to give to you. He is not withholding from you because he gave you Jesus. Nothing is greater than him. That's why Paul said it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. That's why Paul said your grace is sufficient for me. That's why he could say I have learned in whatever situation I am therefore to be content. Why? Because I have you. And nothing in this world could ever make me happy because it's all going to fade away. And we were not created for this world. We were created for eternity. And if God has given us the very best of heaven in Jesus, what else does he have to do to make you happy? Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that as much as I want to believe that it's true emotionally, that my happiness is your highest priority. I thank you that it's not. I thank you that you care far more about my life and my holiness, my conduct and my character and my soul than anything else. 
Lord, I just pray that as we go on throughout this week, that you would help us to see the person of Jesus in our lives. You would help us to appropriate him. Because when we pursue the things of this world and we pursue our happiness, we devalue the person of Jesus in our lives. And we say that he's not enough, but we know that he is. Lord, I thank you for just fundamentally changing us uh, to our core. Lord, we thank you that you are good and you're faithful and you provide every single need that we have according to your riches and glory, which are in Christ Jesus. Keep us safe this week, I pray. Bring us back safe next week. And Lord, that you pray that you would just do for us exceedingly and abundantly above anything we could ask for or imagine at the power that's at work within us. And everybody said, amen. Amen.